well, what role do you want to play in the world? What role do you want to play in society for yourself? Well, you got to get into your character. What, what does that character look like? And will people believe? Because that's the whole thing about acting. When you watch a great actor on the screen, the reason that they're great is because you believe them. You believe that that is who they are in that moment. And I think that's what we do with our character in personal development is we have to make sure that we believe it and then they believe it, right? Because it's like the audience is like everybody around us. It seems so obvious, but it's not for some reason. We don't teach this in school. We don't, you know, this is something we simply have to experience for ourselves is that we develop our character, the role changes. There are two upcoming events that I am so stoked about, and I'm gonna take a brief minute to share them with you here. And if you wanna learn more information, I'll definitely include the links in the show notes. The first is a Bulgarian Bag Level 1 certification that I'm running April 21st in San Jose, California. It is open to anybody of all levels. It is so much fun and you will learn a ton. For more info on that, click the link in the show notes. The second is a new iteration on my Men of Movement retreat that is only for men and it will be happening May 17th through the 19th in Mount Shasta, California. What makes this specific retreat from the other men's work that I normally run is this is going to be a smaller group, only about eight participants. I've got multiple guest experts coming and it is going to be even more personalized to the men there. The focus of this retreat is going to be more around fitness, movement, vitality, and optimization. So everyone will get one-on-one physical assessments, movement assessments, legit body work, acupuncture. It is going to be so much fun and it will be a little bit less of a deep emotional dive compared to the other men of movement retreat that I run. And this is really appropriate for any man looking to level up in vitality, in energy, and learn the practical skills and routines that will give you that extra, that juice or that spark to bring it back to your work, to your family, and the life that you want to lead. Once again, more information to hop on a call with me for this specific event will be in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we are welcoming the Enlifted co-founder, Adam Chin. Recently on the Path Podcast, Mark England was a guest, and that was one of my all-time favorite shows. And so today was such a treat because Adam is on the back end of the Enlifted. He is an integral part on making the business of Enlifted and Enlifted coaches run well. Him and Mark go back 17 years, and his background really started early on in sales training with a very prominent mentor named Jeffrey Getmer. And they did trainings for companies like Macintosh, Apple, Ford Motor Company, and in today's episode, it's almost equally about our relationship to money and business and how to overcome our fear of selling. But it's also so much about the hero's journey and the character that we want to play in life and that we have a choice in that. So it's equal personal development as it is, I would say, business development, which to me, you can't really separate the two. And this is such an interesting conversation. I know you're going to learn a lot on all aspects, business, life, and trusting your own path with Adam Chin. So let's get in right now. With the deep experience that you had in sales training, 
you know, what would you say, I imagine there's many things, but what would you say is maybe one of the biggest things that you learned from studying with that gentleman who you're gonna have to repeat his name, please again, but what would you say was like your biggest takeaway in being immersed in that form of, of deep training? Great question. Number one, without a doubt is self-belief and attitude. That's what Jeffrey's secret ingredient is. His name is Jeffrey Gittimer with a G. His secret ingredient is he used to, speaking of cannabis, I, I'm going to, I'm going to out him on this show, but he used to tell, <laughs> tell the story about how in the, in the, in the sixties, when he was young, he was a young man in his twenties, he and his buddies, he would get together with them and he would smoke a lot of dope as he would call it, smoke a lot of weed. And they would listen to, uh, to Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn. They would listen to these, uh, which who are old school personal development gurus, the guys that influenced Tony Robbins. Wow. They would sit down and listen to Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill and read these books and 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 really dive into this concept of attitude is everything. Like your attitude comes first, your mindset comes first. They didn't call it mindset back then; they called it attitude, right? Um, and those early influencers, if you go back and look at like Norman Vincent Peale and and Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret, you know those those guys. The audience for those guys was mostly it was mostly salespeople because mm. these salespeople were literally going across the country, like driving door to door, knocking on doors, and then getting the doors slammed in their face. You know, and they were getting rejected like eight times out of ten. They'd see giant no soliciting signs. They'd sometimes see shotguns when they come to the door because the reputation of salespeople were so bad. So I think the best salespeople, they gravitated towards this early personal development world and they, they absorbed it. They, they made it their own. And, and Jeffrey infused within me more than anything that our lives are what we make of it. And in fact, the strangest secret, my Earl Nightingale, the, the key takeaway is you are what you think about. And so this is very similar to the stuff Mark uh, teaches in Lifted is, you know, he goes to the word level, but, you know, they've been talking about this for a long time. It's like, we are our thoughts. That's what our lives are. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of sales lessons and conversion, and you can talk about how to build relationships and overcoming objections and all that stuff. Those are all techniques. Those are all like tools, right? But the main thing behind all of that is attitude. So that was the overwhelming uh, lesson of that time with Jeffrey for me. And, you know, many people, I imagine don't know this, but you are, you know, you're side by side with Mark in the Enlifted program. You're on the back end. Mark, let's just say is more on the front end. And so you have your influence so much into the success that is Enlifted and the program and everything and the the collaborations, like everything that that program is right now, you've had a tremendous impact. And and part of that, curious, still going back with that same training, when you were going to these large companies, Microsoft or whatever the companies were, was the attitude piece the biggest missing piece that you were supporting them with? Or what did you see? Um, because I want to also just touch on this too, because you, you help so many coaches today and selling by and large, so many coaches, even parts of myself that I've continually had to work on, have a fear of quote unquote selling. Uh, they love, they're incredible, or they've got deep skills in the coaching aspect. But when it comes to promoting themselves or selling what they do, there's a, a gap that is, there's a lot of stories and a lot of fear and stuff like that. So what did you see early on and what maybe insight can you provide to some type of coach or someone that may be out there today, but has that fear of, of promoting themselves or whatever offerings they're selling? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, even 20 years ago, I would say you had to backdoor all that stuff. You had to backdoor attitude. You, you have because you, think Meaning. about it. If you're, selling, if, if you're selling to a company, they're gonna they're gonna want to ROI. But I also think this is also selling to a client. Like if you go to like a, a just if you're a coach and you go to somebody off the street and you say, Hey, listen, I know that you said you're looking for a fitness coach and you want to look stronger and you want to you want to be you know feel more sexy and feel more like vital in your body. But really, you got to work on your mindset. And we got deaf ears. You're right. Cause it's like, it's like, that's not where they're, the conversation in their head is not, I got to change my mindset because if it, it's, it's, I have to look better. I have to feel stronger. I have to be more confident in my body. Mm. So what you got to do is you got to sell to the conversation the person's having in their head with a company. It's all ROI, it's metrics. It's like whatever their, you know, sales numbers are year after year, quarter after quarter, you have to, you have to basically figure out things that they can measure, but then you backdoor all the stuff that works. So I, I think that that, I think that um, phenomenon is replicable either in a corporate setting, selling to a large group, or selling to an individual. That that has not changed in 25 years to me. It's like you still have to meet people where they are. You have to, uh, Mike Gonzalez, who you're going to have on the show soon. Yep. Uh, he's uh, partnering with partnering with us in this uh, program uh, right now. He's awesome, awesome business and uh, and uh, entrepreneur coach. He has this line that goes. When you're speaking to the sick, you have to speak the language of the sick. You know, you can't you can't speak the language of the well to the to the sick. Like they don't understand it. Like they, they like like you know what I'm saying? It's like so you, you have to meet people where they are. And I think that works regardless of you're selling to, like I said, a corporation or to an individual. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's that's I didn't I haven't heard uh I haven't heard that, but yeah, that's exactly that's so true. And and I think it's, it's very, um, I don't know if the word is like seductive or intoxicating because so many coaches are so passionate about what they do and they want to just share what they do. But oftentimes there's a disconnect in the, in the sense of they think that they're talking to other coaches or other trainers. And yes. so the marketing that they're putting out or the, the tone of voice or whatever it is, there's this lens that whether it's conscious or unconscious that I'm, they're creating it for other peers when they're actually not, they're creating it for the person that they're obviously or intending on, on serving. So that, that notion there, you're, you're, you're sharing for the sick or whatever that exact line was. That's pretty powerful. Um, thank you. And I want to go to Thailand. So what you shared that you met Mark in Thailand and you were there for healing, but what brought you to Thailand in the first place? I mean, you're from, North Carolina. So especially at that age, was it that just desire and why was it Thailand and what was the impetus to go all the way across the world to a place like that? And then you dove into healing work and what was that about? Well, yeah, it was actually, it's precisely the two things that you brought up were the reasons I went over there. Okay. And, <laughs> and let me, and I'll get, I'll get back to what that is exactly in a second. But so my background is, I would say quite unique. Okay. So my my dad's side of the family, my dad is Chinese by like ethnic background. So my grandparents are from China, but they moved after the whole Maoist thing in China, the communist takeover. They fled, I would say. The word move sounds really nice. Fled's a better one to <laughs> Thailand and where a lot of other Chinese diaspora people went to set up businesses. So they, they did that back, you know, in the World War II era, okay, 1940s, uh, mm. early 50s, late 40s. My dad, of course, uh, as a little boy, he, you know, 
he grows up, my grandparents and great-grandparents end up building a business into a pretty successful small business. They buy a couple of factories eventually. I mean, they, they, do, they do well for themselves. They're, they're hustlers. Uh, they get to a point where they can send my dad to uh, university abroad. They send my dad to Columbia University in New York. He goes to a graduate program, uh, another college, uh, and meets my mom, who is from West Virginia, okay? <laughs> and so I have this background where I, I'm, I'm like, well, this is interesting. I've got this successful, uh, you know, uh, internationally traveling father. And then my mom's family is from like the holler. Uh, they call them the hollers, which is like a, I guess it's like a, like a valley or something like that. Like, a, I don't know what the exact translation is of that word of West Virginia. And um, so my parents divorced when I'm about in third grade. It's tough. It's really rough for me. It, you know, it's something I, I have yet to truly heal, even by the time I'm 26, 27. Uh, I would go back and visit my dad when I was a little kid, you know, like every other summer I'd go to Thailand. And, um, and but, you know, I didn't really connect with them or that side of the family or even that culture for, for the most part, you know, because even though, you know, they're Chinese Thai, there's still a lot of Thai-ness to them. There's a lot of Chinese people in Thailand. I wanted to get an idea of where my my aunts and uncles and my dad and my grandparents lived their lives. So I was like, you know what? I'm 27. I got a little payout from the company once I left uh, the business that you and I spoke of earlier. I want to go over there. I didn't go over there necessarily to heal. That's what ended up happening. Mm. But I wanted to go over there to connect. And the connection was, it was weird. It didn't quite go the way I wanted it to. But it brought me so many other wonderful things, which is the trajectory I'm on now. I met my wife at the same place I met uh, uh, Mark at the spa. I met one of my best friends who's not Mark, uh, who I'm great friends with to this day at the spa as well. I mean, that place was very magical and it did help heal us in ways that, you know, maybe I went over there thinking I could have this great relationship with my, my family and repair that. What I ended up doing is creating a new family which was really cool. So it was, it was that sort of uh, beautiful, beautiful thing. That's it in a nutshell. That's why I went over there. <laughs> well, you know what, what's coming up? I'm reading this phenomenal book. It's actually, whether it's for where I'm at right now and what my awareness is and what I'm interested in, whatever it is, it's like the best book, one of the best books I've ever read. And it's called Soulcraft. And hmm. it's fantastic. And it's, it's I think I'm, because I'm listening to an on Audible, it's like a 14-hour book. I'm like four hours in. But basically, it's looking at initiation experiences through indigenous cultures. It's looking at wilderness rites of passage specifically. It's looking at implementing a whole series of practices from dream interpretation to uh, vision quests to chanting to whatever it is, but to essentially connect with our soul's purpose, like what is unique within us. And one of the things that I'm curious about, because you you didn't get what you were intending on getting. What you got out of that experience was very different. However, there was something inside of you that told you to go on that trip, to take that leap. And what I'm curious about too is how has that maybe played a role in the projects you've sought out or the relationships, like what has been that relationship to listening to maybe that inner voice where other people might think it's fucking crazy. Like, why would this guy go to Thailand? Why would yeah. he, you know, but what was that inside of you that, and what, what, what did that experience bring out in you? That's a fantastic question, Mike. 
that is a combination of what I used to believe was strictly one thing. I, th- I thought it was simply following my gut, you know, being just being into gut feeling like I, I feel that was a decision I made that was a very gut decision because I had some money. I could have, I, I thought about starting another business immediately, buying a place down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where I wanted to set up shop for a while. And, and I had that, I had the realtor, I had everything lined up. And at the last minute I was like, no, I got to do this. This is, this is the time to do it. And I took off and it, I thought it was going to be a year. It ended up being close to 15 years. Wow. Um, it, it looked, it took a long time. I was there a long, wow. long time. And, um, you know, I, again, I thought it was gut decision, just, just like this business with Mark, this was a gut decision. It was a gut move. And, you know, it, it didn't make any logical sense in a lot of ways. It made, it made some logical sense. It was mostly gut decision staying in the business with Mark and, and rebranding it into Enlifted. We can, we can talk about that later if you want, but that's all been gut. But what I'm to your point though, specifically, I I think it's half gut decision, but it's also part like, are you open to the poetry of life? Like, mm-hmm. are you open? Am I open to the the poetry that life can provide me? Because there is something very poetic about how life can express itself. And like all the things that we say we want, like, I want this, I want this, I should have this, I think I should have this. It's it, it, like I said, it's, it's not necessarily going to work out that way. Right. But it can work out in a way that could be very poetic and very meaningful. And I'm, and I, I have done a very good job. I turn 47 next month. I, I do. I have done a very good job in these 46 plus years of staying open to the poetry of what could be. I think that is just so important because it's one of the, also the scariest things. And I love that you, the way that you said that, oh, be open to the poetry uh, that life is, because one of the things I think for myself, for anybody listening, in order to get whatever answer it is we're looking, I think to anchor in what you also said, it may not look like you envision it going, like it's, you may not look exactly as you plan. However, the prerequisite or the the necessary thing is space. Like there needs to be space. There needs to be, and if anything, following that gut instinct to create space in life and whatever that looks like for the necessary thing to arise, like that space. So taking, listening to that gut sense, going all the way over to Thailand, doing that. Uh, and then now, you know, and you said you were there, you were in Thailand for 15 years. Is that right? I was there a total of around 14, I'd say 14 years total. I came back to the States for a couple of years um, in the interim, but I, I was there a total of 14 years. It was meant yeah. to be a one year thing. Yeah. That's so wild. And you and I were briefly chatting before we hopped on, on this, this theme of like synthesis. And that's a perfect example. And then I'd love for you to, to dive deeper into that because oftentimes, whether it's our past pains or struggles or our upbringing, like you came from two completely opposite worlds from your mom and your dad, oftentimes it's very hard to 
like see the connection or see the, the, how did this play a role in where I'm at now? So can you share a little bit about how you view synthesis and people who are just like looking at their life and be like, man, I'm in the shit right now, or I'm doing something that I don't enjoy at all. How is this actually going to, you know, uh, play a purpose in what I want to do or where I see myself? How do you connect those dots? In terms of prescriptive, you know, to-dos, you know, again, I would say the only thing I would tell people who are in situations that they're maybe less than excited to be in right now is to go with your gut, to really practice. Like, and some people's guts, uh, if they're if they're not used to it, um, if they're unpracticed, practice with your gut, you know, check in. You have to like hone your gut feeling, you know? And, and like I said, be open to the poetry of what could be. I think the synthesis aspect that I've learned is that, you know, you can learn something no matter what situation you're in. There's something you could be taught there. Like I, like my mom's side of the family, there are people who lived in trailers, okay? <laughs> like wow. old school Appalachia, you know, stereotypes, right? Uh, my dad's side of the family, I'd go to Thailand, they'd have like literal a mansion with like 10 servants and then a <laughs> condominium in, in th- that's built in the same plot of land for uh, 10 stories for each child to live in. Like, it's like with the 10 floors with, you know, 10 kids. Anyways, so it's like, okay, what do I get from those scenarios? What do I do with that information? You know, these people are both related to me. You know, I, I do I judge one? Do I ignore the other? Do I, well, no, I just, I simply learn and I have to feel into each one of them. I have to feel, wait, what, what are they teaching me? What is this saying? You know, what opportunities uh, could I create with this information? Um, and I think that just, being open to that information, uh, being valuable, if you are willing to see it, not as a specific, yes, as a specific to like, these people care about me. I'm grateful to be here, et cetera. But also like, this is an archetype that I can learn from. Like I can learn from this archetype. Like I, this is something that it can express itself throughout the world in many different ways. I mean, I, I, I'm going to get very apolitical here. I mean, political, but apolitical, the whole like Trump phenomenon, when I came back to the United States, um, in 2019, and saw, and it, it happened in 2016, of course, and then the whole whatever. I'd already seen this whole thing play out in Thailand. Like I had seen the whole populist thing play out in Thailand. I'd seen the whole thing play with almost verbatim with that, and then how the other side responded. So I was ready for all this. I was like, because I, I had seen this play out already. And I think that gave me the the information and the perspective to just take a deep breath and say, hey, listen, I I, I understand where this is going. I, I know how this is going to play out. And, you know, if some people were going to get upset or, or for one reason or another, I could speak with them in a very clear way without resorting to emotion and stuff like that. So I don't know if that answers your question so much as to, that's what I have done really with all this, this wide variety of information. I've been able to take just incredibly contrasting things like living in the United States, living in Thailand, working in a corporate situation, working with hippies, you know, in Copangan, doing yoga trainings and, and, and just take all that and, and, and really see where it, okay, that's the thing to see where it connects versus how it's different. That's the takeaway. I've been able to see where things connect versus where they're different. And I think leaning into that's very important. That's really powerful because if, if, and it's just changing our orientation around it, right? It's just leaning or leading with seeing the connection, seeing the commonality, seeing the common ground, because you're going to be, you're going to find whatever it is you're looking for. 
right? Wherever you direct your attention, if you want to focus, not to say there's not the reality of the world, but if you want to focus on negative thinking, if you want to focus how shitty life is, you will find that. You will absolutely yes. find that through the media you consume, through the, the relationships, like you will get where you focus that attention. And that's why it's so important. Like, I mean, we don't have a TV in the house. Like we watch some movies on the laptop and stuff like that. But that's one thing, I mean, early on, uh, that was some of the best advice I'd ever been given by actually, surprisingly, J.P. Sears, who's a comedian now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he was my first holistic lifestyle coaching teacher back in, I think like, 2009 or something? No, 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 2011. Um, and I remember him saying, take your TV, throw it out. And I was like, what? And so- That's a computer monitor, by the way. That's not a TV. Just letting everyone know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, you know, just going back to where you decide and choose to focus your attention. So you are choosing to focus on what can you learn? What are the connections? And that's absolutely been, you know, the direction of how your life has formed. There's one question that I'm curious about with such different upbringings, which is fascinating from trailer park to mansion and in a white culture and an Asian culture. Did you ever feel, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm curious about this. Did you ever feel growing up like you didn't belong or you had difficulty maybe finding or seeing your place in the world? And if so, what was that experience like? It, did I ever, uh, have I ever felt like I'm a part of, um, Okay, so let me let me back this up. There's this concept called third culture kids, and it's well documented, okay? So mm. I'm technically a third culture kid, okay? Mm. And traditionally, the way that that, that this is uh, framed goes like this. People who are like me, who have a wide background, let's say you could even be like a European kid who's purely European, who grows up, is born and grows up in Japan and just grows up Japanese. Well, he's not really, say, Austrian, because that's where his parents are from, and he's gone there a few times throughout his childhood. He's not really Japanese because he's a white guy, a European guy in Japan, right? So he's a third culture kid. This also um, applies to people like me who have mixed backgrounds, et cetera. The old way of framing this is you have two options. Your first option is a victim option. I'm never going to fit in. I don't have a, there's no culture that I belong to. I'm never going to fit in, okay? Very victim-based uh, very popular these days, by the way, this idea of victim <laughs> being a victim. Uh, I, I, I didn't I didn't like that idea, so uh, I uh, I went to the other side, the other the other option, which is presented to third culture kids. Is no no no, you have you have two cultures. You could also say you have multiple cultures. You've got you've got your Austrian side, in my case, my American side. You've got your Asian side, right? Uh, and, and, and do ha you have two, you can go between cultures, right? And then there's also the synthesized culture, which is basically you and all, and all your friends that can sort of relate to you. So my wife is very much like this. She's a third, pardon me, a third culture kid. And, and the benefits of that is that we get really good at being diplomats. You know, we get really good at that because we, we see a lot more, you know, just having that one other perspective gives us. Uh, a, a really unique advantage, right? But to answer your question specifically, did I ever feel, I mean, yeah, of course, to this day, I still, I, there is an advantage for people to have a familiar culture in which they grow up in and there's expectations for them to be a particular way and their great grandparents did it. And they're, you know what I'm saying? And there's, there's, a, there's a path for them. It, it, it takes out a lot of the noise. 
You know, you don't have, you could just be really good at what you're supposed to be good at, right? That could feel very like, I'm sure that could feel at, at sometimes very like, you know, trapping in some ways. Like it could feel like very suffocating. But for the for people who it works for, it, it, it just puts blinders on and it says, go, you go in that direction. So I miss that entirely. Like, I have no idea what that is. I, 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 I crave it sometimes desperately, <laughs> but I have no idea what that is. Okay. Like expectations. What am I supposed, like, am I supposed to do? You know, I don't know. Um, but that said, I have been, I have had the, the, the great gift bestowed upon me to then build my own structure. So, mm. and it's it's not a fun thing to do sometimes, uh, negation acknowledge, uh, if you guys know about negations. It is challenging sometimes, okay? That said, it has allowed me to live a very adventurous and very unique life and to think in a way that is, I would think, is unique, right? I, I, I see things in a very unique way. So, it's good and it's also a challenge. There's your answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, too... You're exactly right. I didn't think of it from that perspective, but sometimes that those expectations can be, you know, comforting or maybe there's like an, in, you know, a sense of safety or security. However, you know, at, at some point, at some point, all of us need to individuate. At some point, all of us, even, even if the cultural expectations feel aligned with the person that we see ourselves becoming, at some point, we will need to individuate, individuate and come into our own and come into what we believe to be true or how we know the world. And oftentimes, I think in those times or after those initiation or, or whatever experiences, that's probably when we can start connecting more dots. Uh, but we have to go through, it might not happen immediately, but we have to go through our own dark night of the soul so I'm curious for you, what was maybe one of the bigger either initiation experience or individuation moments where like you've had this background of the ability to be in two different worlds and find the common ground. However, was there any big single event that you can think of or series that really like propelled you into the man that you are today that really gave you like rocket boosters into your unique viewpoint in life uh, and how you operate? You know, mine has been less looking back on it. Like, I mean, a, number, a massive one for me was meeting Jeffrey Gittimer. I mean, like that, that, mm. to, that, that man has that happenstance moment. And, and he was, he's a sweet guy, lovely guy, but meeting that guy and seeing that way of being like, he's, he's just a, he's Mr best attitude ever. He's just, he's like, I can manipulate the world around me. I will get, I will do a magic person. Okay. A, a winning person. So meeting him was a tremendous, tremendous, uh, moment for me. And I'll, I'm grateful for that forever. For me, mostly it's been about just hitting, you know, like in those, uh, Super Mario Kart games where you hit those little turbo strips, you know, you hit those little and you go faster, you know, it's like, it's like, for me, it's like, that has been Every, say, four or five years, I hit one of those where I'm like, oh, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that. Like, so for instance, uh, when I, right before I shook hands with Mark, literally two months before I shook hands with Mark, um, I made this resolve because I had been very uh, wishy-washy with the things that I was doing in my life for the past, I'd say, for 10 years that, at that point, uh, eight, eight to 10 years, let's call it. 
And I shook hands with Mark. And right before I did that, I'd said to myself, whatever I say yes to, I'm going to commit to from now on. Like whatever I say yes to, I am going to commit to. And here we are. He and I have been in business for 10 years. Um, uh, Very soon it'll be 10 years. So uh, that was one. Uh, Meeting my my wife before I, I met her, I was so tired of dating and all the people that was attracting to my life that I... I sat down on my buddy's uh, sofa one night and I said, listen, I'm tired of this bullshit. The next person I meet, I'm they're going to be this and 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 they're going to be this. And literally like less than a month later, that person showed up and I, I like, I've defined that person to existence. So that was a big uh, win for me. And then recently, I mean, in the past three, four years, the, the big, um, the big takeaway for me was that all the things that I use to cope with the difficulties that a lot of them were brought on, I know for a fact by my parents' divorce and my my difficult background and that and how that played out. You know, I I would say looking at all those things that I go to for numbing or escape or whatever, and then just strategically stripping them away more and more. Uh, I had done that to a certain extent, but like, no, like, let's get this out of here. You know, even drinking, like I I talked to a coach, um, an enlifted coach, Matt Gardner about this. You know, I was drinking like, let's say I was drinking a six pack a week and I was looking forward to it. I was looking forward to like, there's like a couple of IPAs on a Friday night, then maybe a couple more on Saturday, then a couple on Wednesday. That's six, that's, that's six, you know, eight, nine, 10% alcohol beverage beers. And my health was it hit 40, 40 plus years old. And you, it's hard to do that type of thing. So I was like, nah, this is, this is, this is nonsense. Cut it out. So I went uh, six months without a single alcoholic beverage this past year. And then I had one alcoholic beverage at six months. I'm sorry, two alcoholic beverages. That was with Alex Jones. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, and then, um, and then I've basically, I drink a couple glasses of wine with dinner with my wife when we go out to, to, to dinner or something. And that's, that's all I do these days. So stuff like that. Those are big wins, you know, and I think I, I celebrate those um, often because it's important to know that we can, even at, um, again, I'm turning 47 next month, to know that I can make these upgrades. You know, I'm still going, you know, I'm still living. Again, I'm, I'm staying open to the poetry, you know. Yeah, well, first off, amen to that. Congratulations on on that because that's not, you know, what what I hear in that, well, multiple things, but one of which is, well, let me take one step back. When you said, whatever I say yes to, I will commit to it. That is so fucking important and such a game changer. Like one, the commitment piece, it's like we could say yes to things in life and be more open to that. Beautiful. Awesome. Maybe step number one. But unless we have clarity and like the inner resource and inner conviction that I'm going to commit to it, it's going to be very hard to experiencing to experiencing anything of significant change or any significant goal or dream or aspiration. And even when you were saying how you met your your wife, like for you, you clarified everything. 
And I think that's a really important step for people to have clarity, whether it's in their partner or the business they want, whatever. But the other end of it is you are already doing your work. You are living that. Because that's the one thing that I've seen. Like I, when, when I met my wife, uh, I was single for eight years, dated a little bit, but I was single for a long time. And then I took the time to write out exactly what, mm. all the things, the memories we were going to create, how I was going to feel, all that stuff. And actually, funny enough, and I don't even know if I've ever shared this on the podcast. I imagine maybe I have on this podcast, but it was so interesting because she had done the same thing. We had known each, known each other as colleagues for a few years. And then every night for almost three months, I was doing one of Joe Dispenza's meditations. And it was all around, that was my intention. And she was doing the exact same meditation at the exact fucking same times in the evenings or in the mornings. You've got a morning and an evening. So we were both putting our attention into what we wanted. But then on the other side, what I heard you say too is when you're committed to whatever you're saying yes to. So if I'm saying yes to this relationship, but I also need to become the person that that other person would recognize. So it's like, you could be a yes, but if you're not committing and actually showing up in the ways that you want that other person to be, it's going to be very hard for them to show up in your life. That's why like, you know, just writing a dream board. Yeah, that's awesome. But if you're still living a life where you're boozing, you know, you, you say you want someone to, I don't know, go on an adventure with, or you know, take a trip, but every single night you're just slamming beers at home, not going out, not seeing the world, not meeting people. There's that disconnect for you. So yeah, anything come up here, hearing that, but I wanted just to, to enforce that because that commitment piece is so important. Well, that's what Dispenza talks about, right? A lot about you have to change those habits, those, those behaviors in you so that you can uh, step into that, that future, that possibility. That's what's so cool about personal development and continual growth is, we, is as we continue to, you could call it chip away, carve away, or build up, depending on if you're working with clay or whatever, right, or marble, it's like that realization that we can become something by changing who we are and mm. then the outcomes. Okay. It's interesting. You know, I studied acting for a while, more as like a, as a film lover versus what I want to be actor, but you know, there's two ways of acting, right? There's like, there's, they, um, there's the method act method acting school, which people talk about, which is like Robert De Niro or like very famously, like a guy named uh, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay. He will go out, if he's going to play a shoemaker in, you know, in Italy, he'll go and live in Italy and make shoes for a year just so he can like be that character, like flawlessly on screen. Okay. That's like working from the inside out. And that's like, and I think that's called the Stanislavski school. I'm pretty sure it is. But then there's the other style of acting, which is like the Johnny Depp style, where it's like, you got, you got to put on the wig and the eye patch or the, 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 the outfit and then the makeup. And then, and then you work from the outside in, right. To become the character. But the thing is done well, both those styles can work. Right. And I, but either way, you got to get into character, right? You got to get into character. So like these, whether you're going to be the Pirates of the Caribbean guy or whether you're going to be some shoemaker in Italy, you have to get into character. And I think it's like, well, what role do you want to play in the world? What role do you want to play in society for yourself? Well, you got to get into your character. What, what does that character look like? You know, and will people believe, because that's the whole thing about acting. When you watch a great actor on the screen, the reason that they're great is because you believe them. You believe that that is who they are in that moment. 
And I think that's what we do with our character in personal development is we have to make sure that we believe it and then they believe it, right? Because it's like the audience is like everybody around us. It seems so obvious, but it's not for some reason. We don't teach this in school. We don't, you know, this is something we simply have to experience for ourselves is that we develop our character, the role changes, you know? <laughs> Man, I didn't know that. And I love that. Holy smokes. Um, because it's so true. Um, I'll briefly share and then I'd love to, to j- I want to keep rolling on this, this theme. Cause this is, this is fascinating. Cause so much of, you know, all of us who want to experience a, a better life or whatever it is, like we want to step into a new identity that's, you know, stepping into a new character, a new version of ourselves. That's why like the hero's journey, every single movie, every single movie basically that we watch on TV, especially, you know, uh, thematic movies, I mean, you name it, it's, it's all some version of the hero's journey, right? Stepping into this new identity, letting a former part of ourselves die, going through these different challenges. And then there's a guide and a mentor, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that that we do in some of the the men's work that I lead is I'll share it really briefly, but it it hits exactly what you are saying, and it just brought it so much because this is really powerful. So, like for example, if we have someone write out, um, we call it the the old old world or the old occurring world. You pick one idea, one belief in terms of how you experience the world. So I'll use one just literally from my own direct experience. So for me around money for a long time, my occurring world belief was money is confusing. That was the the synthesis or the summary of how I experienced money. And so we would have, and this was guided to me and then now we lead it, but that also can be acted out through the mm-hmm. body and you can get feedback and you can really, what does that feel like? How does money being confusing, how does that move in the body? What are the sounds it makes? And I'm, I'm making this really short, but then the other side is what's the new occurring world? And so for me, um, when I was taken through this exercise, my new occurring world is I'm a world-class gangster with money and it's fun. It's, there's playfulness to it. And so when I acted this out multiple times, I was walking like a gangster flinging money. And then in my daily <laughs> life, the homework or the playwork that was given to me was remember that swagger or just like feel it in the body and move through that character. And over time, like it does shift because it's, it's one thing to change it in the head, but it's another thing to actually move it through the body. So I love that you shared that piece. Cause I didn't know that. Um, anything else you want to share on that brother? Well, yeah. And hang around people with money, like hang around people yeah. who are cool. That, Cause then you yeah. can see, Oh, that's how they react to that thing. That's how you're, mm. you're, it's like doing, like doing research for the character you're getting ready to build. Right. It's like, how do wealthy people react in situations when, when money is no object, because here's the thing, I, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to know some very wealthy people and that's not a humble brag. That's just a simple fact. And I've, and, and they're awesome. I like them because they're awesome. Number one, not mm-hmm. because they have money. That's I, they're human beings to me. That's number one. When you build a relationship, it's like, these people are human beings. They're also very wealthy. Cool. How do they react to certain situations? Do they, do they, do, or do they, do they just make it rain whenever they want? they have a, they have a unique relationship with money. It's, it's, it's a relationship from what I gathered. It's not frivolous, Mm. right? 
but it's not, as Mark would say, puckered, you know, when your butthole's puckered. <laughs> Mark, Mark would, that's Mark's trademark word, by the way, puckered. It's, it's a relationship, you know? It's, yeah. it's like you would have a relationship with your kid or a relationship with, like, with, like, with your body or work, working out or, like, relationship with anything, you're, you know, with your work ethic. It's like you just, it's reciprocal, you know? Like, some, you, 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 you treat it with love and kindness. It treats you with love and kindness, you know? Oh, I'm going to go to a nice place to enjoy really good food. I'm going to bring my friends. I am going to pay for them, right? I'm going to go, th- I'm, you know, I'm going to buy this property because it's a good investment. You know, I'm going to go on this holiday because it's good for me at this, po- this point in life. But if I've got other responsibilities in my, lives, in my life, I'll do that first. Then I'll go on this holiday. It's it's really cool to see. But it, as, as they've said many, many times before, like rich people, money is a factor. It's not the factor. When you're like when you when you're when when money is 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 less common in our lives, money is the number one thing that that we have to use as our decision, you know, in our decision matrix. It's like money first, you know. What, what do they say? Like the 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 only people who think about money more than rich people are poor people. They can't think of anything else, you know. And it's like so when you get into that character, you start seeing how wealthy people act with money. It's like it's it's loose. But it's a re- reciprocal relationship with it. There is they're they're talking to it, and they're and it's talking to them. You know what I'm saying? Is this is very esoteric, and I'm I've never articulated this before, you know, in a, in a conversation. So I think I'm thinking this out loud. But my my recommendation was is to get around healthy people with money. How about that? Healthy people with money, weirdos, and 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 you know whatever. Stay away from those people. But uh, people who have a healthy relationship with money, hang out with them. That's gold, man, because what you just said about it, it really is a relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship. And if you view it as that, it changes everything. Like what we're talking about right now, and even in the whole show is just like these small and big just shifts of where we focus our attention. If now we focus our attention that money is a relationship that needs to be cared for, that needs to be nurtured, that needs to be checked in on, that needs to be, you know, evaluated with assessment, but also like what you're saying, in some respects, hold, you know, loosely, like tight, but loosely. Like if I, with my son, for example, who's one years old now, or even my relationship with Lauren, if, but my son, if I try to hold him so tightly and make sure that he doesn't get into any trouble or fall down or, you know, I'm that helicopter parent, that's holding on to that relationship too tightly. Mm-hmm. And for him to, like, for me to set him up for quote-unquote success or just to be his own man and to individuate later in life safely and healthily, like, my role needs to also be learning how to hold that loosely as well. Especially, I mean, early on, keep him safe, but also give him enough room to to grow and make mistakes and learn. Um, so I love that. It's like, hold it, you know, hold it with care, but also, you know, hold it loosely. I mean, that's just basically, I I, I thought of that that whole Lord of the Rings Gollum thing with the, yeah, that, that, that character, my precious, he has exactly one precious thing in his life. But he he has. But in order to hold it so tightly and obsess over it, he's given up everything else, like every other beautiful gift in life, you know. So I think that there is like a your your analogy with uh, with your with your son was awesome. It's like you want to have responsibility as a father 
but you don't want to suffocate helicopter parent. You want it, you, it it's got to be this beautiful thing. It's like, yeah, oh, by the way, my wife's traveling for business. Um, hey, I want to make sure she's able to get there safely or if she's driving, is she driving a safe car? Is, is, it, a, is, it, a, is it a good flight? Is she coming, is she getting to the airport too late? Cool. Am I going to stop, stop her from traveling for business? That's, that, that, would be, that would put me clearly in the, uh, the obsessive, uh, controlling, domineering, uh, weirdo husband category. Uh, but <laughs> no, you, like, but if I didn't care, if I don't, like, do whatever you want, drive a, drive, take a motorcycle, uh, drive 200 miles on a motorcycle, go uh, take the, 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 the flight that's been grounded a bunch of times, uh, you know, <laughs> with the loose bolts in the play. So I don't care, you know, get there at, at four in the morning and take a cab somewhere. I don't care. No, it's like you want people to know you care about them. So meaning you want to be responsible for your money to continue our analogy. You want to be educated about how money works, but you don't want to be miserly about it. So that's, I think that's ultimately how I'd wrap up this conversation. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to be an active participant in it. But going back to even just something that is one, one of the things that I love so much about the enlifted method is yes, our, our words, our words hold meaning. Our words can change our reality, which shapes our stories, all that. And the other 50% is the breath is. And so when I was, when I was hearing you share that piece, it's like, if you think about the breath, like there's in every breath, there's a, there's a giving, there's a receiving, there's an inhale, there's an exhale. And it's when that butthole gets puckered, as Mark would say, that you brought up, that's when we stop breathing or when we breathe, we, we hold more. And so even if in our relationship, and I, and I want to just for one more minute, keep talking about money because it is one of the most, um, I think challenging things for people to develop a healthy relationship with it. And just, I actually haven't shared this either. This was one practice that was given to me by one of my teachers that was incredible for money, for me at least. And it was super simple, super fucking simple. He just told me, Mike, I want you to do this meditation where you can use coins or dollar bills. And I want you to sit down, you know, drop in a little bit, clear your space, uh, do a little meditation, but you just take the money in one hand and you raise it up over your head as you inhale. And then on the exhale, you let it go and just keep repeating that. And what was so interesting for me, and I'm using this because it, it integrates the mm. breath as well. When I had let go of the money the first time, Adam, it was astounding the amount of anxiety that came up over me. Like mm. literally I was almost trembling and immediately I knew what it was. And it was my story around um, money represented my father mm. and the, 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 the search for validation from him. And I was so holding on to it. But once I started incorporating the breath and start developing this relationship of like giving and receiving, giving and receiving, I can breathe, I can create space around it and then start working with the story. The combination of both those uh, has been a, a really big step for me personally. And so like even in this whole conversation around money and seeing even the connections to the past, following that gut intuition, like the the reciprocal relationship that you said, especially with regards to money, can look in many ways, but is so helpful. So just thank you for sharing that because that was that brought up immediately that practice that I did. And it was me developing a kinesthetic relationship with money in that way with the breath. Right. And really, at the end of the day, it's just really, it's really, I'm so happy you shared that because it, it, 
highlighted again to me the absurdity that how much human emotion has been poured into this inanimate concept and and an object that is money like it's it's like you know cuz even when it was gold it was just our idea that gold was important we we put value on that it's it's inanimate it's like it's it's abstract yet we're pouring all this human emotion into it like tremendous amounts of human emotions. It's like getting angry at a rock or something, you know? It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's really, it's like, and getting stressed out about, you know, a cloud, I don't know. Uh, it's, yeah, and really it's, so when you did that, what you were doing is we're, I think it's about really repairing a relationship with ourselves. Like I think money mm. is really like the, you know, going back to my, my movie analogies, cause I love movies so much, you know, Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock had this concept the famous uh, suspense mystery director of the 19, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s, he had this concept in his movies called the MacGuffin. And the MacGuffin is this thing that he only, he, he used it, he referred to it. And every single one of his movies, the MacGuffin would show up. And the MacGuffin is always like a bag of money or a gun that was been lost somewhere or a brother who has sent a letter and he's no longer, uh, we don't know where he is, but we maybe he's in, you know, I'm making this up, but maybe he's in England or Nepal or something. And the MacGuffin serves one thing only. The MacGuffin serves to move the story forward, just to give the characters a reason to move forward into the story, just to get the get the the cast of characters moving forward, just out of their normal space in their lives or day to day and doing something. And I do think that money is the MacGuffin, right? And and like mm-hmm. our day to day lives, it doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, like that, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just this thing that propels us. And so we have, but it's so emotionally charged that sometimes we forget that it's just a MacGuffin. Mm. Yeah, because it does have, it, it, it does have like, it does have so much like polarity to it. But at the end of the day, hearing your, your transformation of, you know, when it comes to money, it reminded me that it's ultimately simply repairing our relationship with ourselves. Because like when it's, when it's about getting money, it's about like, am I valuable? Mm. Am, am I, that's really what it's about. Am, am I valuable? Like I'm convinced that money, like wealth accumulation is really about, am I valuable? Do I matter? Do I, am I significant? Do I deserve this money? Like to me, that's the story behind that. And then keeping money is like, am I worthy of, you know, of, of, of being safe, of keeping money? If I'm worthy of this relationship, of being, of, of having this in my life, you know, like, I, I I think there's like and I, that one I haven't thought about as much, but I'm I'm pretty much convinced that 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 whole like self value thing is around getting money. Do you see it the same way? I mean, are are you? Am I talking crazy talk here? Or what, how do you feel about that idea? <laughs> I, from my own experience, uh, yeah, that feels pretty spot on, and I think it's going to symbolize and represent different things to different people. But I think. I mean, you're right. Like money holds a weight. Money holds some some symbolic weight to all of us. And I think oftentimes, and I love how you brought it though back to ourselves, because even with that analogy of my father, yeah, like, okay, that's maybe step one. But the like, even as children, like the father's role, like right now I validate Luca, celebrate him. Good job, right? Mm-hmm. But then at a certain point, he needs to learn how to do that himself. 
And that's something I think for all of us, like the next layer to my journey in that is exactly what you said, is looking at how do I feel valued? How do I value myself? How do I bring that into myself? And that's really like, Money is a symbol of my father. Father is a symbol now of letting me know, okay, how can I bring this home to me? So I think it's, it happens in layers of awareness at different paces and different times, but that feels pretty damn accurate, bro. Yeah, if, if you and your listeners ever go over to, um, to the Bitcoin world, which is a really awesome world, by the way, there's a guy that uh, is called uh, Robert Breedlove. He's got a whole series of podcasts called What is Money? Mm. And in the Bitcoiners, this is what they're obsessed with is like, what, what is it? Like they go back to the old days, like, you know, units of exchange, shekels, shells, you know, how mm. people used, you know, what does money mean? What even is it? And there's, you know, hours and hours and hours of discussions on this. But, you know, one of the things that, that, that comes up in those discussions is, and, and this is like one of the great uh, downloads I have over the, over the past five years is that money ultimately is is energy. It's 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 like it's an energy exchange, you know. And I think that there is something. It's it's a concept that we have to think out after this podcast because it's, it's going to take us a while. But but it's this concept of like people because energy is like is like our effort in time and it's all also our effort in space and it's our. And it can outlive us, like that energy that we bring in with money. It could, it could help it, your son could benefit mightily from that money if it's generational wealth. I mean, there's, it, it, so it's almost like a life force or a power thing that that I think plays into this too. That's why it's so emotionalized, even though it is inanimate. And with Bitcoin, it's literally just a ledger, you know. So it's like, but there's still this this. You know, anyway, we can go very. That's very deep. We don't have to go there today. But I do think that it's something to do with value and energy. And anyways, we're getting way lost in the sauce here. Please, next question, Mike. <laughs> no, I, 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 love, I, I love that. And that, that is fascinating because when you look at back in cultures, it's like, yeah, they were using like this, this, this uh, not product, this material thing of money, like printed dollar bills. It's not how it always was. Right, like it's it like would, really recent, man. Like, like wow. it was like barter. Like, I mean, salt, like, would you be or like salt? So, yeah. like, these other hey, things. Hey, Mike, you, you, like Mike, five hundred years ago, we're sitting around having a conversation. Like, I'm really stressed because you know this this cow that I'm using as barter <laughs> represents my dad, and it's like, well, you know, what I'm saying it's it's kind of silly if you think of it in those terms, but that's yeah. basically what it is. Wow, fascinating. Well, Adam, this has been super enjoyable, brother. Before we hop off, uh, I'd love, you know, I mean, if anything comes up for sure, but especially on this topic of money, is there maybe one take-home message that you'd love to leave people with as a result of anything that we talked about, but one thing that you're like, if you take this away from this show, uh, it would be a win. What, what comes up for you? Okay, so it will not be on money because that was an aside that I was I was very uh, happily surprised we got into on the show. By the way, because I'm I, I do think about it often as most people do, but I will go back to your point about creating space because you talked about that earlier, mm. and and you know space is like something people bring up a lot in coaching. Like you know we got to hold space, whatever. You know Mark and I are less into holding; we're more into creating space. That's our goal. So um, my buddy Ulrich, who I believe you either have met or are going to meet. Uh, he's a Northern California guy as well. Uh, he and I are working on a journal version of the Enlifted method that people can use on their own, like a physical product that they buy and they can use it as a journal. They can do their whole thing. And in the Enlifted method, you know, there's essentially four steps. 
Uh, if you've done it with Mark, you know, and I'll go ahead and reiterate it here. Okay, step one, you take those ideas that are swirling around in your head, that are big and infinite, and you get them out of your head and you simply write them down. Okay, because as soon as you write them down, in this, you know, one page, take five minutes, write it down. Okay, think what's on your mind, on my money or my relationship or, you know, this asshole at the post office, whatever. Write that down, you're done. Okay, now the ideas are finite. Beginning, middle, and end. There's a story, okay? That's step one. Step two, read it out loud. You voice it out loud. Just read it. Read it at normal speed, okay? How do you feel? You know, where do you feel it? What's the intensity? Step three, read it again, slow with a big breath between sentences. Read it like, you know, tick, tock, tick, tock. Tick tock, tick tock. Now, how do you feel? Now, what are you seeing? Okay. What's the story called? What's the story titled? What does it mean about you? Okay. That simple process will create so much freaking space in someone's day to day. They are going to, you, you would be shocked at how much space that creates because you get to slow down and actually look at all the stuff swirling up on your head. And you could do that with this journal. You can do that uh, by going to Unlifted, hitting us up online at Unlifted Coaches, talking with Mark, talking with Kimberly, and learn more about the Unlifted method. But you can do this. I've been doing it because we've been doing this journal project for the past um, you know, few months. And I've been running myself through this journal process at least five times a week and man, I've had some downloads, like incredible downloads in the past month alone. Like I'm talking like one I had a couple of days ago was like, I realized that like I'm in really good hands. Like I don't have to worry about anything because I got myself to this point. So I titled my, I titled my story, I'm in good hands, you know? And I, I was like in tears coming up with this realization. Like, it's cool, Adam, you're in good hands. You got yourself this far. Um, and yeah, just by looking at, and, and it, that came from a very simple, you know, extemporaneous, you know, just flow of thoughts, journal entry that took me a total of 20 minutes to go, go through the whole thing. So I, I'm a big fan of creating space, um, slowing your stories down. Cause I, I'm a fast speaker. I tend to speak somewhat fast. So when I get to slow it down and look at those words and feel into them, man, it's just, yeah, the real gold is there, man. That's so powerful, brother. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I super enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Creating space, writing it down, slowing it down, adding the breath. And like you said, that can apply to any story, whether it's money or whether it's not feeling like you belong with where you're at, wherever it is, not sure about listening to your intuition, everything that we talked about, you can use that tool and that method to start feeling into what's between the lines. And, uh, and that is poetry to, to, to bring it home. So thank you, Adam. And uh, for anybody listening, we'll connect the Enlifted Coaches uh, in the show notes where you can find out more about their method. I've done level one, level two, level three. Uh, I'm in it for life. It's just how I look at the world now. And it's what I do. As you guys all know who have listened, um, you guys know it's what I do in the men's work. And it's uh, just integrated so much into what I do and how Lauren and I live. So Adam, thank you, brother. And I hope you have a beautiful day, my friend. 
Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.